Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. My name is Anne Germain, and I'd like to welcome you to the Artificial Intelligence, and we've changed it to the Battle Against Contamination. Now, to get started on our session, I'd like to start off and go through our uh, speakers. So we have three great speakers uh, this afternoon, starting with uh, Jason Gates. Uh, waste, he is a Waste 360 40 Under 40 winner, and Compology CEO, and he's a subject matter expert in, in, on industrial application of internet-connected sensors and data analysis. With thousands of dumpster cameras deployed across North America, they gather and process millions of data points, making them easily accessible and actionable for haulers, generators, regulators, and processors. Compology is a San Francisco-based company focused on building technology for waste, and their web-based software is powered by dumpster cameras that monitor fullness, identify contamination and context, contents, track GPS location and verify services. Uh, Jason holds a BS in civil and environmental engineering from the University of Maryland. Uh, we also have Jason Rose. He is a senior executive uh, for waste management, a champion for sustainability and innovative partnerships with business and local governments. Jason has been with waste management for over 20 years. Prior to his work in the Pacific Northwest, he was the area vice president for waste management for Southern California. His commitment to environmental leadership and outstanding customer service is at the heart of the company's growth and success across the region. Jason leads 2,400 employees and oversees 24 collection districts, 10 transfer stations, 9 recycling facilities, and 7 landfills. His operations includes two renewable energy plants, which use waste to generate enough electricity to power 15,000 homes in Washington and Oregon. Jason graduated from San Diego State University, where he played football with Marshall Falk and was coached by Sean Payton. He later earned his MBA degree and attended uh, attends Harvard Business School for Executive Education. And finally, we have Pat Carroll. Uh, Pat is the president and CEO of Environmental Solutions Group since 2010, and uh, ESG, uh, who's Corporate headquarters is in Chattanooga, is a combination of Heil, Marathon, Karate Can, Third Eye, and Bain. Uh, Pat is also a member of the Board of Trustees for the National Waste and Recycling Association, as well as uh, Board of Directors for the Environmental Research and Educational Foundation, ERAF, where he currently serves as the Vice Chair. Prior to this role, Pat was president of Desteco, a Dover company, for five years. Uh, they were a are a global company focused on industrial automation components with manufacturing locations in nine countries uh, in the U.S., Europe, Asia, and South America. Prior to that, Pat was with Terex Corporation for five years, four as president uh, of Telelect Utilities Businesses, and one year in business development as the corporate headquarters. Prior to that, he spent 12 years with Ingersoll Rand in the construction and mining business, where he held a number of positions with increasing global responsibility in sales, marketing, new product development, and business unit management. 
Pat holds a BS in engineering science from Montana Tech and an MBA from UT Austin. Please join me in welcoming Jason, Jason, and Pat. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, Jason Gates to set us up on uh, the topic of AI and contamination. So thank you everybody much for uh, joining us today. This is uh, fun for me because I've worked extensively with Jason and Pat. Uh, I see a lot of friendly faces here in the room who uh, Compology has worked with in, in the past. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, you're probably thinking, what do a bunch of garbage men know about artificial intelligence? Um, and the reality is that over the last decade, the three of us have been watching this technology progress. And while we don't ourselves get down into the ones and zeros of exactly how this technology works, we have become expert in its application. And the goal for today's session is really to equip everybody here with enough understanding of how the technology works so that you can go back to your own businesses and decide whether it's the right fit for you. So what we aim to do is first level everybody up on what exactly artificial intelligence is and when we say AI, what does that even mean? We're gonna jump into some very specific applications related to contamination reduction and the results that we're seeing in the real world. And then we're gonna talk about bigger picture and what's coming down the pipe next. Artificial intelligence has permeated pretty much every aspect of our lives today in different ways. And it can take a lot of different forms Today, we're going to talk about specifically its application in, in waste and recycling. Um, but what is exactly artificial intelligence? Uh, there's a textbook definition, but really it's having a computer do things that you would normally have a human do. How do we create artificial intelligence? And there's really, there's really two ways that this works. Um, the first is that we tell a computer how to do a job. So there's also the type of artificial intelligence where you train a computer to figure out what's happening. It's actually a pretty simple three-step process. And I'm going to illustrate it using the most cutting edge of an artificial intelligence technique called machine learning. And I'm going to use cancer detection as the example because it is the most cutting edge example that, that we can possibly think of. So uh, three-step process. The first step is you look at a whole lot of brain scans and you have humans label where the cancer is in those brain scans. Step two is you take all of that labeled data, all of those labeled images, and you feed it into a machine learning algorithm. And the third step is that you can then take that algorithm and feed it images without any human labeling, and it will return an estimate of where it believes that cancer to be. Right? So this technique is being put into practice in hospitals all over the country. Like I said, the most cutting edge technology. And you're probably thinking, well, how in the world does this possibly apply to the waste and recycling industry? Um, and the fact is, is that we are taking exactly the same technique and applying it to contamination. The way that our system works at Compology is we take pictures of the inside of dumpsters, we pass them through a machine learning algorithm that's been trained by millions and millions of images, and we're able to return two different attributes about that image. One is its fullness by volume, and the second is a count of the number of pieces of contamination. Those two different data points can be applied across businesses for haulers, generators, and regulators to make all types of business decisions. 
technology that had once only been reserved for the most cutting edge applications is finding its way into the waste and recycling industry. And I'm gonna pass uh, the baton to Jason who's gonna talk a little bit more about specifically how you take those data points and turn them into action in the business. All right, thank you, Jason, I appreciate it. What I wanted to do is talk a little bit about uh, the technology that we've deployed. And what we've found from a lot of our customers is they weren't aware of their contamination rate. And let's face it, in the industry, the contamination rate is around 25%. And so how do we clean it up? Traditionally, what we do is we have drivers go out there and they'll audit certain routes, right? They'll flip lids and all you can see is what's on top. And 90% of the time, what's on top is OCC or paper, right? It looks clean. And you can't see down below. Well, that's what's exciting about this technology. So what we've done is cameras are installed on recycling bins, the inside of them. And these are commercial bins that are for multifamily and restaurants, commercial applications. They have about a five-year life. They're very durable, so they withstand the dumping and the rainfall, and they actually have a light, so when the lids are closed, you can see inside of them as well. They take a picture every seven hours, which is fantastic, right? You are then able to determine the contamination that's in the bin. And what we're finding, a lot of our people come up with these creative names. So one of the names we've come up with is a contamination sandwich. So I'll tell you what that is, right? First, they put a little layer of OCC, then they fill it up with contamination. And what do you think's on top? OCC again, right? There's the sandwich. Some, and you'll see these in the pictures, they call it a contamination pie. So there'll be <laughs> contamination down below, and then the crust, the top part, is the OCC or the paper. Some just scramble it together. They call it the contamination scramble. It's kind of mixed in, so it doesn't look like a lot. And then what we find in, in some cases, and I have went out and toured a number of the corporate campuses, there's a lot of wish cycling that's out there. And I was at a very large technology company and touring through their site, and they had three bins at most of their enclosures, right? They had a trash bin, a recycling bin, and an organics bin. The organics and the recycling were filled up. What do you think was in the recycling? Nothing, right? Zero. And it's almost like you're looked down on if you put anything in that waste bin. And we have to overcome that, right? That wish cycling, hoping that it gets recycled somewhere else. So we are able to identify the uh, contaminants. The unit transmits pictures via cell network to the internet site. And then we get a daily report that's sent to our team. Now, when we receive that report, depending upon the contract that we have with that municipality or that customer, in some cases, we can bill for contamination and move on. In some cases, we have to go back and notify the customer and find out if they are going to cure the situation or remove it. Or in some cases, they may say, I'm not gonna cure it, just pick it up as trash. And we'll bill that appropriately as well. So what it really comes down to, though, is the power of customer conversation. You've heard that a lot today, how important education is. Getting that real-time feedback to our customers and letting them know what we found. They see the photos that are date and time stamped, so you really can't argue with the photos. And then assisting them with the behavior change, kind of that feedback loop that they need to know about. And I think what they've found is that in many cases, they're able to identify either the location, maybe the department, the building, 
or maybe it's the person or the janitorial crew that's causing that issue. And then how do they get it rectified? Ultimately, what we want is we want less contamination. There's obviously an economic incentive uh, for the customers. There's system-wide cost savings, right? We can run our lines faster if we don't have that contamination. We have improved marketability of that material as well. And then we have the environmental benefits. So let's go on and let's look at some of these pictures. And this is fascinating to see. This is inside the container. So you'll see here we've got plastic bags and tanglers. Um, this is almost like the contamination pie. And then they cover it up with cardboard later in the day so that our driver doesn't see it. So then we'll follow up with that customer. This next one, same thing. You can see the contamination at the bottom earlier in the day and then covered up uh, with OCC um, as the day progresses. Um, this one almost looks like an egg scrambled with a little topping of OCC. You know, you've got contamination mixed in with OCC and then later in the day as we go to pick them up, uh, they put OCC over the top of it to cover it up. And then you can see this one, we've got black bags at the, the very bottom, and then we come back later that day and it's covered up by recycling as well. So these are the results that we've had over the last five months, and this really demonstrates how education has been able to help us. So you can see when we started off in October, November timeframe, you know, we had 1,200 different contaminated calls. And we would call those customers and educate them and work with them on solutions to eliminate contamination. You can see now today in March, and it's actually continued to go down, we've had about a 60% reduction in contamination and working closely with our customers. And that's really ultimately what we want. Now, the majority of our customers um, choose to either clean it up or to have us go back and pick it up as recycling and build them appropriately. That's about 95%. The other five to 6% have us go back and collect it as MSW and we build them appropriately. The, the additional benefits as well is on the safety side, right? Unfortunately or fortunately, uh, we've had about one individual in our container each month during this pilot. So we're able to notify the route manager and the driver at, ahead of time, especially in Seattle, you can imagine in the winter time, right? Where, you know, it's cold and rainy. We've even had a lot of snow this year and they want a, a warm place uh, to be. So fortunately, we've been able to remove them out of the dumpster. But think about the other safety benefits, right? You can identify potentially medical waste, hazardous waste, sharps, propane tanks, batteries, those types of things, those contaminants that you could eliminate from the stream before you dump them. So that's another benefit. So in the end, it's all about sustainable leadership. You know, we're very focused on using data technology and innovation to work closely with our customers to really make recycling sustainable and cost effective uh, for the long term. Thank you. We're, we're just going to do a little bit of a panel discussion. I'm going to ask a few questions of um, our speakers and then we will reserve 10 minutes at the end for questions from the audience. So there will be uh, opportunity. Um, but I'd like to start off by um, asking uh, Jason Rose uh, the question. So can you provide some detail around what exactly contamination is, um, describing like the size and scope of the problem and you know how, how we got here? 
Yeah, I, I think that the challenge for the industry is that for a long time, China accepted the contamination, right? I mean, it was 25 to 30 percent. Then last January, they said it's going to go down to a half a percent. So it really forced the industry to change pretty quickly. But we've seen contamin contamination for quite some time. And let me just give you some examples. I mean, we see Christmas lights. Um, we see uh, grenade launchers. We've had a deer delivered to our recycling facility. A black bear, a python was delivered. Um, but one of the common things that we see is um, we see bowling balls, if you can believe it. Um, we get about, yeah, we get 10 bowling ball or 100 bowling balls a week, uh, which is 5,000 bowling balls a year. So people must think, hmm, I think you guys can recycle this uh, bowling ball. Um, but, you know, think about those things trying to be processed uh, through our machines. But I think what it comes down to on, on the education side and what our customers have really asked us to do is to go out and help them with signage, whether it's on their campus or at their external bins. Um, in many cases on these corporate campuses, we're adding different languages, right? Because you've got people that are working at these campuses from all over the world. Um, having ambassadors for your buildings or your departments um, has certainly helped out as well. And then doing teaching sessions, having lunch and learns uh, is very helpful. One thing that I, I would bring up is we've got a, a great w website. It's called uh, Recycle Often, Recycle Right. If you get a chance, take a look at it. It's ROR.com. And I can tell you we've got videos on there. We've got posters, guidelines, labels, uh, decals, um, enforcement tools. They even have a series of contamination videos that you can watch as well. Um, it's a free website, and um, I really think you'll enjoy it. I mean, you could easily spend a couple hours on it. Thanks, Jason. Um, so Pat is not up here just to look pretty. Um, he is here to answer questions as well. So Pat, uh, this is for you. You work with companies of all sizes. How do you see contamination issue manifesting across uh, various companies as well as in different parts of the U.S.? Well, certainly, when you look at uh, at the contamination issue, it's it's and what's happened, and and Jason just touched on that with uh, um, with China. There's just a lot of changes now, and people are scrambling on how they're going to change. They're looking at is it an equipment solution? Is it a behavioral change solution? What are we just are we just going to deal with it right now? So, uh, large or small, it is something that's hitting everybody in the face right now. And what we're trying to understand is how can technology help. Uh, but it does come to that circle that Jason put up there is we can detect all the contamination you want and we can do it on the truck, we can do it in the bin, so we can find and use AI to do that, but unless you have a closed loop system that helps bring that back to change the behavior, then it really won't make the difference uh, at the end of the day. So having the technology is one step. Having a system where the municipality, the hauler, uh, and the uh, equipment providers can work together, that's the only way you're really going to get sustainable change. And now, Jason Gates, um, you work with numerous haulers, um, cities, de different generators. What have you learned about contamination when you're dealing with your various customers? One of the things that we've seen that's most prevalent is that the current contract structures have really been designed to support the old model of recycling. Um, and now that the business model of recycling is changing, we're finding that contracts need to be shifted 
both between haulers and municipalities and between haulers and waste generators directly in order to support the use of technology. And so one of the biggest things that supports the implementation of new technology is having the foresight in writing new contracts to include the optionality of using technology. Um, a lot of the ways that contracts are written today make uh, the use of technology prohibitive for a lot of different reasons that made a lot of sense even just a couple of years ago. Um, but going through the effort of, of rewriting those contracts can be a really effective way of encouraging the industry to adopt the technology and reduce contamination. So clearly, contamination is a complicated issue, and it sounds like some of the solutions that you guys have uh, provided aren't really so much technology-related. So is this even a problem that prom uh, technology can solve? Um, I'd like to open this up to all of you. So Jason, Rose, let me get, hand it right back to you and say, you know, since you're the technology provider here, how do you view that? Yeah, ab absolutely. So I think one of the things that I was aiming to highlight in the introduction is that the way artificial intelligence is designed is taking a task that humans can do or uh, are doing and being able to use technology to make it more effective or reduce the cost. And what we've seen is there's a fair amount of research that shows the Recycling Partnership has done some incredible work on a relatively small scale which shows that direct outreach that's consistent, educating consumers on what is and is not recyclable has tremendous results. And what we aim to do with technology is not reinvent the wheel, but to take that process that has been demonstrated with success and automate it. So the concept is not new of providing direct education to a waste generator. That's something that we have all been doing in the industry for decades. Um, what we are targeting, though, is moving away from using paper flyers and tags on carts and delivering that message through a medium that people are desiring to get information through. Um, so a lot of the outreach that Jason's team is doing in the Pacific Northwest is digital. Um, people want to receive information on their mobile device and how do you deliver a message about contamination the same way that somebody receives news updates, for example. So I, I do believe that technology has uh, a critical role to play in reducing contamination. Yeah, Jason Rose. I, you know, just thinking about that, to, to add on to that, you know, when you think about all those notifications that you're receiving on a daily basis, you really do have to automate it, right? I mean, it would be almost impossible to keep up. And so we've been able to automate that, that feedback loop back to our customers. And it could be email, it could be text, or it could be an outbound message to them as well. Um, so that's been very helpful. But when you think about our customers, so many of them want a high diversion rate, right? A lot of them brag about being, I'm at a 70% or I'm at an 80%. But I think what they're starting to realize is that their contamination rate could be 20, 25, 30%. So really, how well are they doing? And what we're finding is they're very receptive to the data. And I think you have to have the data and the pictures to go back to them. And we've seen some great success stories, and I'll just highlight a couple of them. You know, there's a very large retail company in Portland that has 100 different locations, and they had a very big challenge around contamination, 
They wanted to know by location, by store, what the contamination rates and issues were. And then they went back and they coached and teached uh, those different managers of those facilities. And now they're virtually clean at all 100 locations. They're actually up for recycler of the year, which is fantastic. So you have some customers that are out there that really embrace the technology and want to make the improvement. However, we do have some on the other end where we've got uh, one uh, particular customer that has had 65 uh, contamination notifications and not improved, right? That can be very frustrating. And sometimes that's where we have to get the city involved uh, to assist us. When you have those contamination notifications like that, um, you, you said most of the customers are receptive to that idea. Is that customer resist resistant or they're just not effective? I, I think they're resistant to the change and not willing to make the change. And sometimes I think bringing in a city uh, to help with enforcement can, can certainly help out. Okay. Pat. Uh, yeah, so, so the answer is technology can uh, work to, to help uh, address contamination. But uh, as, as I touched on a little bit earlier, it, it needs to be a, a holistic solution when you approach it. So uh, if you listen to the last uh, presenters that were up here and talked about ro robotics, they did a great job. So, so the objects in the stream can be identified. And when it gets to a MRF, it can be separated. Right. So what we're really talking about is how do we make sure they don't get to the MRF? How do you get a clean stream right out of the gate so you don't have a contaminated uh, recycling stream? And, and that's that's what we're trying to touch on. So if we can recognize the objects, whether they're contamination or, or not, um, we can do that in the container. We can do that in the hopper of, uh, of, of a truck. OK, but then how do you loop that back around? Uh, if you look at some of the uh, places, some municipalities, uh, you know, they encourage people to recycle. So they'll give them a, you know, a large uh, 95, 96 gallon bin for recyclables and a smaller one for, for general MSW. So what happens is they fill up the general MSW because they pay for that. You have to pay for a large one. And then they put all the rest in the recycling bin. And, and so that's just how are we encouraging people to, to you know, behave that way? Is it something that we're doing through contracts? Jason touched on that. Uh, and, and just through the sizing of the containers and through education. So technology can work, but it can only work as part of a process that really comes back to behavioral changes and how do we encourage to take cost out of the system? Because if we can do that, it's, it's good for all of us. We get a cleaner stream, uh, we get a more profitable stream, uh, and, and certainly uh, um, less dollars go to the, the separation of that than it would have to otherwise. Okay, so we have established that technology can help. So let's talk a little bit about the technology. We, we focused a little bit on uh, some uh, recognition. Uh, let's talk about what's the difference between what technology is shelf ready, you can go and order it or purchase it off the shelf, or what's still an R&D and what can we expect for the future as to help solve this problem. Um, so, Jason Rose, why don't we start with you? Yeah. I mean, it's, some of you were in the, the last session on robotics, and I think, you know, that's ready. And we're testing it as a company. Um, we have four different robotics uh, pilots going on at, at our MRFs. Um, we uh, employ optical sorters at the majority of our MRFs. And think about what an optical sorter can do. They can separate out you know, 600 different products a minute. I mean, 
you know, a human can't even come close to that, right? And so technology around, I think, the MRF side is certainly um, being developed, and, and I think we're very excited and we're committed to it. If you look at what our spend was last year, we spent about $110 million on our MRFs in, in 2018, and we're, we're actually building the MRF of the future in Chicago. Um, and that should be completed this year. So we're very excited about that, and that's going to be using the latest and greatest technology. I think that the other nice thing about this technology is um, we're eliminating some of those jobs that maybe people don't want to fill, right? I mean, how many people want to be on a sort line? It's very difficult. And so if you can add robotics, hey, that's a high-paying job to maintain that system, right, and to really learn that system. So while we may see some jobs go away, we have to find that new talent that can handle and work on the technology side. Thanks. Uh, well, and I agree. So certainly on the MRF side is, is where we have seen the most progress. I, I would say the, the bin um, from working with Compology, what they have is, is ready to go. So that is working today. That is a, a product that's out there. It's not an R&D. It, it is a product that's working. Uh, from our standpoint, then it's more the mobile application for contamination. So it's the capability is there. We have the technology to do that. But applying it, uh, again, on a residential route, uh, where we got commercial routes, mostly with Compology, applying it on a residential route doesn't make sense. And again, it only makes sense if, as, as I talked about before, uh, we have the entire process with the hauler municipality and the waste generator all working together uh, to use that data appropriately. The, the, the thing you don't want to do is accuse somebody of contamination that didn't. Because uh, you just imagine those calls coming into the, the local government if, if somebody was accused of putting the wrong item into their bin. So the accuracy of that has to be there. It has to be tested and it has to make sure it's verified before for that's rolled out. I'm, again, talking more on the mobile side than, than anything else. Jason. Uh, yeah, so I, I think we, we've touched on truck-based technology, uh, MRF-based technology. Uh, in, in the container-based technology is deployed at scale in North America, in the United States and Canada. Um, one of the things that we have uh, taken to heart in the way that we develop products is uh, get to market with a version one. Uh, and then use that as a footprint to continue developing. So uh, while technology that Compology offers is uh, in market and, and ready for purchase to buy off the shelf, uh, there's new things that we're developing on a continuous basis to continue improving. So Jason mentioned some more obscure types of contamination like Christmas lights or batteries, um, which may be harder to spot than bulky items like pallets and black garbage bags in a cardboard container. So being able to continue building out the list of contamination items that, that one can identify um, is, is on that development roadmap. So how can AI help communicate contamination to households and businesses so that they can improve their recycling habits? You kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, is, there, is there more to that? I think there is a little bit more to it because when we're talking to our customers, you really have to get down to the root cause. And so let's just say you do find that root cause and you're able to change the behaviors. What happens then to that waste? It shifts, right? It goes out of the recycling bin and it goes over to the trash bin. And that means that that trash bin is usually under service. So in many cases, we're doing extra pickups on the trash bin or we're increasing service levels on that trash bin as well. So that's some of the follow-up that we have with those customers that shift the material from recycling over to the trash side. I think the other thing that we're finding out as well 
um, from our pilot is that there is a lot of illegal dumping. Okay, so you have neighbors that could be coming in or people on the weekends that are dumping furniture, mattresses, etc. So bowling. some of the bowling, bowling balls, <laughs> right? <laughs> Animals, pythons, right? All kinds of things. Um, it's like a zoo. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So what we try and do is work with them to put locks on it, a lock bar on it, so that those bins um, are not being dumped in illegally. So you're right. There is kind of a, a phase that you go through, but when you think about it, that is additional revenue that, that's being generated as well. How can uh, AI technology be utilized to identify small uh, particles of plastic? Uh, clearly, the larger pieces are uh, recognizable by some of the uh, robotics and, and technology, but what about the smaller pieces that are causing some of the contamination? Yeah, I, I'm certainly not an expert in, in that area on when it gets down to the smaller particles. Again, I, I think if, if you can't identify it visually, then you can recognize it. But then how do you separate it effectively? Uh, I think is a, is a difficult task. And I think that question came up in the last last seminar too, that the smaller it gets, they like sizing it to a certain size that, that makes something you can grab that you can easily come after. But when it gets to that size, then you know, grouping it all together, it's, it's really difficult to separate. Let's go on to the next question. So how is the adoption of this technology um, moving forward in the industry? Is, is this being embraced? Obviously, we have at least one service provider here that's looking at embracing it. So what about other, um, other service providers and you know, how are they embracing this technology? I'll start. I think uh, um, it's st still on the very cutting edge uh, of some providers and, and trying to leverage this. Again, when we're talking, not in the MRF, I think that's getting more and more mainstream. Uh, where AI is being used, but but more on the collection side or the, the commercial side. It, it, but to me, it raises even a bigger question is, do you want to be recognizing all of the waste or recyclables coming out of a, of a house? I, I mean, it's a, it's a question. So if we, if we can recognize contamination, we could also recognize what yogurt you just drank or just ate, right? And then, and just like happens when you go on social media or you search for that one thing on, on Amazon and all of a sudden it shows up on everything, you get ads. I mean, if you start thinking about that, then there's, a, there's really a, a privacy issue too at some point that, that needs to be um, uh, thought about because if you're recognizing the, the waste streams coming up off a residential and you can tie it back to that house, you're just getting a lot of information about what they're doing uh, and, and what they're consuming. So um, I think that needs to be thought about in the entire context too. If, if you're using AI, you know, it can go and then it can go a lot further uh, than maybe what we're talking about here on just general contamination. Yeah, just to add to that and, and thinking about some of the barriers, right? I mean, there is a cost like they talked about in the last one with robotics. I mean, this does cost more money, bless you, but hopefully you do get the returns on the back end. So the feedback we've received from our municipalities has been very positive. Um, we have met with a number of them and showed them the pictures. And I think they support us in our efforts to really get to the generator and try and change behaviors at the generator level versus across the board. So for the most part, it's been very positive. Um, I think some have, have wanted to, to pilot it in a smaller setting, which is fine. We'll pilot it with uh, smaller customers and then give that uh, feedback back to the city uh, before we can proceed. I think the other uh, barrier is it's a different skill set. So it's, it's new for the industry. We have to hire a different talent of people. It's a lot of data to manage 
uh, to process, to keep track of. Um, and I think a lot of our municipal partners also want to see the results. And so we want to make sure that we can track it back um, by municipality and share those success stories with them. And then talking a little bit about, you know, whether this is going to pay for itself. If, um, if you have problems with something like that, uh, could you solve the problem on one dumpster and then just move the technology to the next dumpster because you've solved it? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, that's actually what we've been doing. As we do solve it, you're right. I mean, those behaviors have been changed. So why leave it there? So we are starting to rotate the cameras um, to other dumpsters and, and clean up those waste streams as well. Um, we don't have it deployed on all of our front load uh, containers. We probably have it on about 20%, um, but we're starting to rotate it a lot more. So good question. Okay, so um, let's move on to results and uh, talk a little bit about how you see these uh, technologies creating results. And do you have any specific examples that you can provide that demonstrate the effectiveness of these technologies? So uh, why don't we start with you, Pat? Well, I, I think I'm going to defer this one right to Jason because uh, his product's been out there a while and, and they are measured results that uh, I think uh, sharing those things would be, would be great for the, for the audience. Sure. So uh, the results really depend on who the end user of the technology is. We look at three primary end users. You have uh, waste generators, waste haulers, who typically are vertically integrated and are also doing the processing, uh, and then regulators. Um, so for waste generators, the result is uh, typically focused on a zero waste to landfill goal. And we found that uh, by using artificial intelligence technology, you can reduce the amount of contamination by upwards of 60% uh, over a period of time. Um, so that's giving you granular measurements that you can use to inform your diversion policy. Um, for haulers who are vertically integrated, you have the benefit of reducing that contamination that's coming into your facility. Uh, but then on the flip side, you also have the ability to recover revenue on being on billing proactively for that contamination. We've seen anywhere between $50 and $100 per container per month in additional revenue being able to be generated through billing uh, for that contamination. And then regulators have the benefit of being able to look at that information and inform future policy. So when it comes to designing a new contract, uh, evaluating different bids between haulers, uh, they have real data on what's happening with the, uh, the flow of contamination through their municipality um, and have the numbers to look at in front of them. Jason. Yeah, you know, I think about and look at our overall contamination results, um, and as Jason has mentioned, I mean, they decrease 60% with this technology. Um, so we have been thoroughly impressed, but I do have to emphasize a lot of that is that education and outreach. We have a pretty large education and outreach team. Most of my region um, is franchised, and so we work closely uh, with the municipalities. Um, but also with the larger businesses in the area as well. So we've been, you know, very pleased um, with with uh, the results thus far. And again, for, for the products, uh, um, 
in, in general, when we look at the mobile application of this or putting it on a vehicle that's out there, that, that is still untested uh, uh, on having it in a, an area that has a, a circular path that says, okay, here's how we're going to identify it to this particular household. Here's the contamination that came out. Here's the behavioral change or the incentives we're going to put in place. So, so that isn't there yet. But what we have seen in general, the data coming off of a vehicle, the more data you have, the better you can use that to make better decisions. And, and that's what we're really focused on, um, is trying to help people make better decisions. And so what we can do with, with AI, and, and is it in particular as it comes to contamination that comes into the, uh, um, the RCV, then uh, that is something that's going to be a benefit going forward if we, if we have that closed loop. And I wanted to follow up on something that Jason Gates was just saying about um, increased revenue due to the contamination in a particular dumpster. So if, if you're seeing that contamination, is there any motivation to then um, uh, change the um, fees or, or what you charge based on the type of contamination, recognizing that some contaminants are going to be a bigger problem than others? For example, if you get a bowling ball, you charge this versus a black bear, you charge this other amount? Yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, I think there is a level of severity on contamination that our team uses. I mean, if it's one bag, we're going to charge a different rate than if half or three-fourths of the container is contaminated. If there's an animal in there or a lot of bowling balls, yeah, it's going to be uh, definitely a different rate. So we base it based on the, the severity of the contamination. I, I would mention that uh, today a lot of the contracts are structured in a way that uh, don't really support this sliding scale or spectrum of severity of contamination. Everything's treated the same. And so I mentioned earlier that being willing to open up contracts and change the language to support the use of technology that can identify these different types of contamination, enable systems that can charge different amounts for different severities, which at the end of the day, uh, it makes sense and allows, it's only fair that the customer is being billed back for what they're actually producing, um, as opposed to absorbing the cost across an entire system. And it seems like AI should be poised to be able to figure out those differentiators. Absolutely. Okay, um, let's move on. Uh, what's next? So uh, these are questions for all of you. Uh, so what changes can the industry make to help support AI technology applications um, to help eliminate this contamination issue? I think one of the, the big missing pieces today is the way in which we automate the uh, education and outreach. Um, so we've demonstrated that the education can be a really effective tool um, and the results uh, are, are, I mean, we're, we're seeing it in practice, but being able to take tools that are being applied in other industries and bringing them to the, the waste and recycling industry to deliver that message, uh, I think will increase the efficacy of our message, right? So a lot of, we are using digital communication, but there's still some manual steps in there. Um, being able to, to implement some more automation in the way the education is actually delivered and to who it's delivered and when it's delivered, um, I think will be the nail in the coffin. So um, the way I'm picturing this, and maybe I'm extrapolating too much, it's like you see in a cart or a dumpster there's contamination, feedback immediately goes to the owner of that dumpster that's specific to what the contamination is and how that's going to impact them, you know, kind of like 
a dog, you don't punish him three hours later for going in the trash, you right, punish him immediate. like right now, the immediacy is what's necessary and what you're looking to, is that what you're saying? That's absolutely right. Um, and because there's so much variance in uh, recycling policy city to city, uh, right? What's recyclable in San Francisco may not be recyclable in Las Vegas, may not be recyclable in Houston. Um, and being able to have somebody new to a city receive that message uh, and receive it consistently uh, in a timely manner is uh, highly effective. And so also following up on that same thing, so if we're, we're thinking that immediate response is good uh, and we're talking about what's next, you said pictures are taken every seven hours. Um, seven hours isn't quite immediate feedback. So do we envision a time where it's like somebody puts a bag in and, and like immediately gets the like, hey, bad dog. They'll actually get shocked. Yeah. The frequency in which the images are taken is, uh, is something that is tunable on the back end. Um, so depending on the goal of the application, um, it could be once every hour, um, it could be once every seven hours, but um, we found that the contamination levels are so high today that even once every seven hours you capture with plenty of opportunity for coaching. I think, you know, the next phase of this, and they discussed it in the last session on robotics, is how they can now start to read labels, which is fascinating. Someone in that one asked if you could read the Starbucks lo logo on a coffee cup, and they said that they could. Um, so I think working upstream with these manufacturers to try and find solutions sharing that data with them. I mean, there's a lot of focus right now, let's face it, on coffee mugs, um, whether it's McDonald's or Starbucks. And I think coming together and collaborating for a solution is really important, and I think the future of the industry. So we talked a little bit about how AI is going to take over, and, you know, I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. Um, so when are they going to surpass human laborers and uh, what can humans do to help improve AI and, and how is this going to be synergistic and are we all going to be out of jobs and looking for UBIs? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think everyone saw the, the Google AlphaGo Zero beat the best Go human players, right, which was fascinating to see. And then the humans learned the strategies that we never knew existed um, from the machine. So, you know, I think humans will continue to learn from AI, um, and I think it'll help make our uh, not only our, our trucks and containers smarter, but our facilities as well. I mean, think about the types of audits that we could do in the future. Think about how labor-intensive material audits are right now, right? If you could use AI technology on material audits and do them regularly and frequently and give that feedback back to that generator, that would be fantastic. Think about safety audits or inspections, how you could use that as well to identify those contaminants, whether it's either in your load to prevent that explosion from happening on a truck or in your processing plant as well. I mean, I, I think that's really the, the future um, of the industry. And then probably route audits and logistics. You know, once you have AI in there, you can blend that in into to the route audits and logistics. So it really is a paradigm shift in our industry. I think it's an exciting time uh, to be a part of it. And uh, I'm looking forward to the future. Well, oh, go ahead. To, to add on to that, 
something that we've seen across our customer base is that uh, the artificial intelligence is not taking over a business, but it really becomes a job aid for those who are, are in the business already. Um, we do not typically see headcount reductions. We see revenue growth without continued investment in additional people or assets. Um, so uh, customers are taking this technology and using it to scale their businesses in a really capital efficient way. Revenue growth for whom is the question? Uh, so it, it, it would depend on who the, the end customer is. So in, in the example of, of haulers, um, it's being able to do more with the staff that you already employ. Um, with regulators, it's being able to, to uh, have greater oversight over the contracts that you're administrating without hiring more staff. Um, and it's making that process more efficient. Okay, well, um, please join me in a round of applause for our three speakers. Thank you.